Welcome to episode 14 of the Helpful Huddle podcast. Thank you so much for listening in today. In our episode today, I get the opportunity to interview Alejandra Munoz. She is a new friend of mine and someone I am very excited to be speaking with. You are in for a treat as we dive into her story and how she is helping others, specifically students. So turn your volumes up, sit back, relax, and enjoy this episode. Welcome back to the Helpful Huddle podcast. I am your host, Luke, and I'm sitting here with a new friend of mine, Alejandra. Say hi to the people, Alejandra. Hi, everyone. I hope everyone's having a good day today. Same. I hope everyone is, too. Um, And Alejandra, I want to thank you for coming on this episode. A quick story, because it really is only a quick story of how you and I met was my wife introduced us and that's as far as it goes like besides that I just learned about what you do and who you are and you guys had a little catch-up right before this but that's our story of how we've met that's right (laughs) um but Alejandra I'm really excited to be doing this interview, reading through your LinkedIn bio, learning about you and what you're doing. What I, th- I think what you're doing is really, really important. And you have a message and story to tell. Um, and with that, I- I'm ready to dive in. How do you feel? Let's do it. <laughs> Let's do it. So I always like to start off my interviews fairly broad and just learn more about you, learn about your story. So Tell me about your journey, childhood, to where you are now, whatever you'd like to share. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, you know, thank you for inviting me to the podcast. Um, I'm equally excited. And um, a little bit about my background and how I got to where I am now um, in my career. I um I'll actually start from the very beginning. Uh, My family and I immigrated to the United States when I was nine. Uh, That was when I was in fourth grade. Um, And the reason I mentioned that is because um, the career that I picked was very deeply impacted by my personal experience um, um, as a child and like going through um, education here in the United States. So in seventh grade, I... um, started going to school at Yes Pet Public Schools, which is a charter school here in Houston, um, in Houston, Texas. And the mission and purpose is getting students prepared to college prep school. Um, and they, it's open access, like our, everyone is inner city students. Um, so the majority of students were from low income, first generation backgrounds. And so I received so much help and support Um, going through that and graduated, attended college, first in my family, graduated college, came back to teach. uh, And I taught, you know, back at um, the same district, yes, but public schools at a different campus, not the one I graduated from, but um, equally impactful, right? Because I was giving back, um, I taught two years, I taught Spanish, loved my students. The culture was awesome. Everybody rallied around this idea that like, you can do it if you want to go to college, you're ready. Every student, 100% of our students have to get uh, accepted to college before they can um, graduate. So like, that's a requirement, a graduation requirement. Wow. And so, um, yeah, and if they choose to go, great. Like we encourage it, we help. Uh, but then we also do have some students that decide they don't want to start right away. 
Um, a lot of our students were going to college, uh, the majority of them actually, and I realized as a teacher back then that even though we're getting them to college, they were not graduating from college. Mm. And so that for me was something I wanted to look further into. So I went into higher education. I got my master's in higher education and student affairs. Um, and my whole goal was to like do research and look into why are our students from uh, specifically low-income backgrounds, uh, underrepresented backgrounds, not graduating. And I spent 10 years in working at colleges and universities, and now it's come full circle. Like I'm back at Yes Prep Public Schools. It's a larger district now. There's 14 high schools, and this is my wow. second year as director of alumni support. And in my job, I now am working with the seniors that are graduating, and then as they transition to college, helping them get there and through college. Um, so it's similar work to what I was doing at the college level, but now with our um, school district, it's K through 12. Wow, that that's amazing. And I mean, it's, it's really cool how your story came full circle of you mm-hmm. were, got help and then it impacted your life so much that you thought, hey, I should do this as well. I think that's truly amazing. Yeah. So I, yeah, and definitely when I think about my why and like the reason why I do the work is because I had the help. I wanted to come back and uh, do the same and better for other students because it had such an impact in my life and being able to have a degree, right. And have a different lifestyle uh, versus not having that college degree. No, that, that's amazing. And I, I, it really is amazing. I didn't, I didn't even know like this part about you, like my knowledge about <laughs> you and what you do and what you obviously what you've gone through is very, very small. Um, and I know that I sent you, like, I prep you with questions, but I want to keep it as fluid as possible with our conversation. But you, and if you don't mind me like jumping ship of kind of what I already prepared mm-hmm. you for, we only, we're only one question in, um, but you mentioned yeah. like, diving into like the reasons why uh the yes prep kids weren't seeing it through graduating college and like and even further than that like you were talking about low-income families and things of that nature like what were what were your findings through your research yeah um lots of different reasons um Mm -hmm. i i worked for trio programs I'm not sure how familiar you are with them or maybe our audience some of our audience might be Uh, but trio programs are federally funded and they specifically um, help uh, in my case I was working with college students so with student support services there are also trio programs that help high school students like upward bound um, and then there's like a total of eight different types of programs but um, what I found like in through my research and as a grad student is like we want to obviously have the support systems in place for our populations. Um, so for low income, access to um, scholarships, access to um, financial aid, right? Um, access to books, to things that some students might not need access to, like a um, transportation, um, like 
different things that we don't normally think about um, that sometimes our students get to college and don't have. Um, at the community college level, the challenges were a little bit different. We also had some students like um, who needed support getting food. So we had a food pantry. Um, we also had like a clothing um, career closet. So depending on the need, like for two years, we had some different needs than our, the four-year colleges. Um, I worked both at a two-year and four-year. Um, and so with, through my findings, like it's just having access to those things and being able to connect students to those things. Um, but aside from that is the encouragement and the mentorship and being like them having a mentor or someone that they can look to that they can see themselves in and having that representation like it really did make a difference uh in them just knowing hey like I look like you and you did it like I think I can do it too and just that motivation I think a lot of times is undervalued and so in the trio programs um, I had the opportunity to do the advising that's not it's more than just here are your classes but our students would come in and do select the classes and have those conversations about um, motivation and, and like sticking through um, hope and getting through some of the challenges that sometimes they might have at home. Um, so lots of, of things that can help, but it also just depends too on their environment, like two-year versus four-year university. Yeah, and, th and that's super interesting. I can see how those each each circumstance is going to give its own set of issues or or obstacles, if you will. But I think I think what I'm hearing, at least one thing that I think is so overlooked and so important is kind of what especially like what you're doing is having someone there to support past the graduation marker, like mm -hmm. just getting to your I guess you're, I would say, I don't even know if it's the right way to say it, but it's like, you're extending the finish line. Like they don't just cross the finish line, graduate. And now they're on their own after they've just had so much support and help. There's, there's more to it than that. And cause it's, it's a whole different college and high school is completely different. <laughs> and that's just Absolutely. something that you don't realize until you're in it, both good right. and bad. That is. So yeah. I, I think that's really, really cool. And Something that you also mentioned is having those mentors and someone that looks like your themselves so that they can have something to aspire to, which leads to one of the questions I asked you, like, who were your mm -hmm. mentors on, on your path to all of this? Yes. And, you know, in fact, for me, I didn't have as many mentors um, that looked like me. Mm when I was growing up and going through the things uh, myself, but um, I did have a lot of mentors that went out of their way to help and were there and were passionate about extending opportunities. Um, and so for me, it was absolutely my college counselor when I was at Yes Prep as a student. Um, in my master's program, my thesis um, chair, like, encouraged me. And again, it's just like encouraging that, like, I think you can write this paper, and I think we can get it published. 
I would have never thought, oh, let me write this paper and I'll be a published author. Like it never crossed my mind, right? But it's like those mentors mm -hmm. that encourage you to do the things and then you feel like, okay, maybe I can do it because they think I can do it. Uh, so for college and beyond with my thesis chair um, and then supervisors, um, several supervisors that have extended opportunities. And I have had supervisors that look like me and so like Latina women and, and so it's inspiring okay like they are in a position I can get there too uh, and they have extended opportunities for me um, and so I think supervisors have also served as mentors for me. That, that's really amazing I think we can all for the most part think about like people that have mentored us or coached us or helped us out along the way and given us hope and support and I think that's all, always very important and you mentioned something that just made me think of a kind of off, not off the wall question, but just a, just a question of like, how important is it that you found through your research and just for you personally, like mm -hmm. to have someone that looks like you, um, like to look up to and see that, how important is that? I think it makes a big difference um, when you are, in a place that like when you're maybe a minority. Um, so, you know, you naturally try to find common ground and commonalities between um, friends and like mentors and there's like the people that you socialize with. Um, and they don't always look like you. Like, you know, sometimes I did have mentors that it was that commonality and that passion that they extended um, opportunities to me. Um, but I think to your question of how important is it, I think um, it becomes, from what I have observed for my students, became important at the college level because mm -hmm. when you're first gen and you're the only one or the first one that is doing this, like you don't, your family supports you, but they support you in different ways. They don't have the knowledge to help you mm. understand the process and so I noticed that a lot of times my Hispanic students would gravitate like naturally maybe my observation was that they felt comfortable coming to me ask a question if I'm standing here with my other colleague it was like natural let me ask a question um I think just generally um because they would gravitate to it so I do think it makes a difference when you are possibly in the minority. Now, there are places where you're not the minority, like currently where I'm working, I like our place of work is very diverse. And so I think mm -hmm. our students get into this comfort, like culture that like, this is the way it is. But then when they go to college, it's not like that. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and so then maybe it's also something that you're coming with like, Oh, my whole entire experience has been with a culture of like the, with Hispanic teachers or like more of a diverse culture. And then you get to college. If, if you select a predominantly white institution, then, then it's a culture shock. And so then that's when it becomes really important. Wow. And, I, I think that's so important and I've learned a lot of, you know my wife like I've learned a lot more about like the how important it is for the for Latino women to see Latino women or 
or the Latino population in general in positions of power and positions like that they have to look up to. And it's just something that I had never thought of growing up as white male and just something I never had to deal with. And I wasn't a first generation student. And so it's, Oh, a lot of this has opened my eyes, just getting to know her and having these conversations like with you and other people. Um, it's just, it's really, really interesting. And it, making me realize how important all of this is. And I mean, even now having a son that is Latino, <laughs> um, it, it just, it just, it's very eye opening, I would say. Um, but, but I also want to continue on with our conversation because I, I want to back up just a little bit and talk a little bit more about like your education to get to the point that you're at now. Um, like what, what uh, you might've mentioned, I apologize if you did, but what was your undergrad initially? I, it sounds like it was some sort of education base. It actually wasn't uh, oh. my undergrad, <laughs> my undergrad degree, but I didn't mention it. So you didn't miss it. Uh, my undergrad degree was, <laughs> was in business administration. I have a finance degree. And that's where I met uh, Andrea. I met Andrea in, at Texas A&M. Um, we were actually taking a math class together, and we were trying to get through that together. Uh, and see, and again, like gravitated right to Latinas, like let's help each other because it was a hard mm -hmm. class for us. Um, but that, I mean, I didn't think at the time that I was gonna be an educator. Um, so whenever I did graduate. Um, my, the school district had a like a different certification program you could go through. Um, mm -hmm. So in your first year, you were getting your certification teaching and getting all your hours and doing an intensive like one year certification program. And that's how I got into education. Um, Spanish was my minor. So that's why I had enough hours to be able to teach Spanish. Gotcha. That that's really mm -hmm. cool. And that's that's an interesting transition going from finance to was your first real quote unquote job out of college <laughs> with the Yes Institution and you were teaching? Yes. Yes. My first real job was um, <laughs> <laughs> teaching Spanish at Yes Pip. Mm -hmm. That that's so cool. And it it's just funny how I mean you didn't go to college and you certainly didn't probably didn't think until very close to the end that you were going to be taking that route. So it's just interesting at how it pulled you right back in and to a, to a purpose of what you're doing now. And then, but where I want to lead with this next is like, how did you get from teaching Spanish to, and I know you went back and got your master's, but you're a director mm -hmm. now. How was mm -hmm. that transition? How did that happen? Um, it, I think like my overall, in my mind, um, my, my overall goal was like, okay, I'm going to go and figure out what's happening at these institutions. Why aren't students graduating? Can't solve it. Like we can do small strides right now, but it's, you know, it's a lot of things. Um, and I realized after like about 10 years of working in different positions, advising, mm -hmm. um, I did student activities, um, I worked with learning programs, um, early college, um, 
different types of positions, the trio programs that, you know, I also managed grants and DEI work. And then at the end of the 10 years, um, I, my last position was uh, doing early college work um, and concurrent credits, dual credits. So I was working with the high schools and mm. getting students connected to college classes. So that brought me back to like the K through 12 and started to see like, okay, well, maybe I had it all wrong. Like I thought that we could, and, and we can still do a lot at the higher ed side of things to make sure and really like higher ed institutions have a lot of goals and strategic um, things happening to get students to graduate. But what I was seeing within that bridge where from early college to college was the prep. Like when students are starting college, a lot of the population that I'm passionate about are first-gen students, our low-income students, they didn't, they weren't ready academically. And so they were taking like um, a lot of our developmental classes to get started. And sometimes it would like delay their graduation. And so I started thinking, well, maybe I do have it wrong and, and I need to go back to the K through 12 and start that preparation earlier. And that's where it came full circle, uh, came back. And I get to see now the best of both worlds um, with my team. It's my team is the college initiatives team. And so we, at the district level, we give guidance to our different 14 campuses for the um, college initiatives program. They implement, they have, like they do the things, but uh, we help guide. And then my immediate team specifically works with the seniors. Um, and so we're getting them ready that um, second semester to transition and go to college. And so. Um, we're finding through our data, we have a lot of data we started collecting that our students that are persisting and are most successful in graduating from college are those that had the SAT scores to begin with and or the TSI scores and like, so what can we do in their high school years to make sure that they have what they need to score well in the SATs, be college ready, have 3.0 and above GPAs. Um, so a lot of that pre-preparation now so that then they can be more likely to succeed in college. I love that. And you, you actually touched on something that I want to ask you, and I didn't know I was going to be able to, because it's just, this is a general question, but you were talking about like preparing your students for like those standardized tests, the SAT, the ACT, whatever it might be. But, and that's an, that's an issue for everyone, like especially people mm -hmm. and there's people for whatever reason, super book smart, don't test well, standardized test well, things like that. But what, like, what are some things that people can just do to be better and prepare them for those tests that are for one reason or another, they are very important, especially if you're looking to get into college. Um. So there's, I think I have a, I have a two answers. <laughs> one is like, once it's time for you to take the the test, right? Like there's a lot of prep books, um, Kaplan, like you name it. Um, and so we do have that um, at our campuses and like we have tutors and teachers um, that help implement that and so get students ready for the SAT. Um, 
Now, the second answer I have to that is that like some, what we have also found is like through our data and everything is that if students are, students that have been doing well on their STAR test, so like the state test all throughout, like mm -hmm. if they are doing well in those, then they are likely to do well in that, like it's correlated with the TSI, which is the Texas Success Initiative. So like we have the SAT, they can be college ready if they get the score for the SAT and or if they get the score for the TSI. So for the TSI, like if, so to answer your question, that second part of the question is like they can do all the tests, like the preparation and everything, but if they had just like had good teachers, and had been doing well every year, then the SAT would not be as as big of a challenge or the TSI or whatever standardized test because a lot of those are concepts that they should be learning um, in the classroom in high school. Gotcha. And just for my clarification, because I didn't go to a school in Texas, TSI, is that just like graduation exams like you have to pass them to graduate school or is it a standardized test like an ACT SAT it's a standardized test uh for placement Got so it. um whatever score you get then when you start college your advisor will be like okay so this is your score you can start at this class uh if you're college ready right you'll start your regular classes if you're not college ready based off of your score, then you would then take like a a class before your core classes. We a lot of times they are called developmental classes to build yeah. those skills. And so um, that's kind of what I was talking about earlier. Um, sometimes those classes are not credit bearing and like they are more so that they can pass and then be ready to take their college classes, but they can take up time money they can be discouraging and so a lot of times students get stuck there and don't continue um although the purpose is to help them build the skills so if we get them earlier and they're mm -hmm. passing their test or standardized you know then the whole in theory they would be doing well in their standardized test uh, but to your point about like some people don't test well, we, you know, that, that is real. I do believe uh, SAT's time. So I think that's where the prep books and like the practices come in because then it's not about mm -hmm. you understanding the test and beating the test, right? Yeah. Uh, not about the content knowledge. It's more about like strategies and things like that. Mm -hmm. The TSI is not timed. So we have found that when we offer that opportunity for our students and they can, some of them that didn't do well with the SAT that was timed are doing well in the other test because it's not time. They can take their time. They literally can take all day and then they do better. Gotcha. No. And I, and I, I mean, firsthand, I didn't, I didn't personally test well. And for me, it was more about like quote unquote beating the test, like you said um, for, and I have no idea why, but, definitely something that I'm passionate about as far as like for in Alabama or the Southeast, we, we were more on the ACT. So the ACT held more weight, but mm -hmm. and so I, I scored like 
okay or average, but or I don't even know. I don't even know what it was anymore. I just know that it wasn't like enough to get a scholarship or anything like that, but it had absolutely no bearing on like how I performed at the university level. Like I was mm-hmm. on the Dean's list and every semester or quarter or whatever the system was like it had mm-hmm. absolutely no bearing so it really was just how do you beat the test <laughs> which is so funny I think that that's even a concept yeah it and it still is although some universities don't even use it anymore mm-hmm. uh, but like scholarships will be like they'll ask for that um the score is needed for you to like, again, depending on your score to what classes you're going to start in. Um, so maybe not for admissions, but it's still ways like in other areas. Gotcha. Yeah. And they're important. They are, but <laughs> it's neither here nor there. Um, mm-hmm. But get, getting back to like our, our interview, um, <laughs> Some of the other questions I wanted to ask you kind of more about like still about your job and everything um, is like, and I think this is going to be a diff- probably a difficult answer for you to give at least just one. So give as many as you want, but like what, what's that most like rewarding part of what you do? There are a lot of rewarding parts, but I will keep it to one. Um, and I, it's really for me, is watching them cross the stage because it that's at the point where you know okay they've met everything like they're excited you see their families um there's so many emotions a lot of excitement a lot of celebration um for some families like it this is the moment that they had been waiting for since um you know sometimes when they left another country right to come to the United States so that's my favorite part um the most rewarding part is seeing that like joy and that um you know just that hope for the future because now you have this credential and um you're ready to take on the next step that's awesome and I can imagine that that is super rewarding um Mm-hmm. But of course, but of course, this wouldn't be an interview if I didn't ask the flip side of that question of like <laughs> what what what's the most challenging? I think the most challenging for me, um, and I will say, this is probably not normal for education, but for mm-hmm. my district, like we do have a culture of like we know this is the goal we. We want our students to be ready for college. Like, so we don't have a lot of times, like I've worked in Arc in Arkansas, lived in Arkansas, in other places, not just for the school district. And it's I think the challenge in those places was um the the different dynamics and like maybe not everybody always prioritizing the same students. Like where I'm at right now, it's like everybody all means all, like we believe all of our students can succeed and will succeed. And so that takes away that like, okay, so why are we only putting some students in AP? Why are we only offering some things to some students? Why do only some students have opportunities? So I don't really deal with that as much. For me, the most challenging part is prioritizing all of the things that we want to offer to them 
and not having enough time to really get all those opportunities. Like we know the things that will build their resumes. We know the things that will, that will work, but having the time to get those programs really going and having the capacity to run all of the things so that we can offer all of the things to the students. It's a lot of bandwidth, it sounds like. And it's, <laughs> I can, I can imagine between all the things that you have to offer and all the students that you get to deal with, you get the opportunity to deal with. It's a lot. I can, I can, I can just, I can just imagine and I can, <laughs> and there's only so much time in the day. <laughs> so yeah, I, I can, I can right. just imagine what you're having to go through with it, with it all. And um, yeah, it, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. It's a lot. <laughs> um, it is. It definitely is. Um, it's not your typical like eight to five, even though I try sometimes like, okay, this is only the time that I'm going to work. But there are like graduation, we just finished graduation and like my team, because we're the college initiative team, we, we were working it like weekend, um, long days. And so it, it's not all the time for me in a district role, but I think like for our teachers, it's like day in and day out, you're with mm -hmm. the students and then you're planning and then you're grading. And like, uh, so it's definitely a lot of juggling, um, but the rewarding part, right? Like it's, it's give and take. I believe it. Um, question that just popped in my head. So when you're preparing like your seniors for college and they're looking at different college opportunities how do you keep track of like that this college requires this type of thing or they have a or for this student th this college might be better and trying to lead them down mm -hmm. that way and like how do you manage all that and then kind of know all that in your hot <laughs> in your head <laughs> So we don't know it all. Okay. <laughs> um, we have, we use data and systems. Um, so we have like for college matching um, mm. and really the students will, uh, will teach the students how to do it. And they, um, and then the counselors will help advise um, to apply and not apply or, um, you know, you name it, right. The coaching and the advising piece. But we do have like where we can see, okay, students with the typical uh, GPA, um, scores, um, whatever data, like um, for the most part, it's going to be like your SAT scores, like your GPA and this typical type of student historically, now that we've been in existence for so long, has done well or has been accepted to these schools. And so like the students will, will be able to like, know okay. So I'm likely to be accepted here. Um, then we also ask them to apply to a REACH school, like something that's gonna be more aggressive, like just give it a shot. And then we also ask them to apply for um, safety schools. So you have a, a safety school. Um, so I think that's, they, they do college matching with them um, and they, build their college list their junior year so all of our juniors that we have what's called junior seminar um, so they do all of this uh, junior year we also um, take our students uh, um, or give them the opportunity to go on what we call junior spring trip 
And so we have buses that take groups of students to different regions in Texas. So they get to visit, you know, like your South Texas schools, um, your North Texas schools, so on and so forth. And then we have some that go on national trips. We have partnerships at some of uh, the schools nationally. And so we want them to see um, before they apply. And so that has been like, we have seen that. I mean, it's obvious, but like we also always get asked data, right? Like the impact of the programs. So we have seen that those students that participate in these exposure programs where they get to see the schools, then they are more likely to go and matriculate and start college. Um, so about, so like back to your question, like how do we help them? Like our staff also goes on the trips so then they can be familiarized with the schools as well. That's really good. And so I think that, I think everything you're doing is really awesome. And with those trips that are super important, um, question I should have asked when we started but it just kind of came back into my mind now is I think you said that the program you work for works at like 14 different schools is that correct well right now we have I'm on the secondary team with the high school so right now we have 14 schools that are graduating seniors uh, but we have more than 14 schools like we have two more that that they have students, but they're not seniors yet, um, two mm -hmm. or three. And then we also just started, um, they started building elementary schools. So mm -hmm. those, those are new, re pretty recent, uh, because another, like the earlier you get, right, the more yeah. it's going to be really interesting to see that cohort of students that started with elementary all the way through um, the program and like how they succeed in college um but 14 right now that have graduating seniors and those are the ones that gotcha. work gotcha and I, where i was going with that question was like how do i guess one how do you and or the program partner with the school and then subsequently like how do you get the students or is it kind of once they partner with it they're required to work with you guys or like how is that dynamic so it's because it's a school district they are a part of the district so they are required to be a oh. part of it we're all yes prep there's just like yes prep uh southeast campus yes prep west campus yes prep south side and so there's four teams uh in the district now as a district employee like I, we don't have basically like we don't manage the college counselors at the schools like they are their own so we provide the structures we provide the resources we have reports we like today we had an end of year meeting and like I was getting all of the information for the seniors from the counselors to my staff because we're going to start working with the seniors in the summer um, but it's like structures that we have put in place to be able to get the information to do the things together. Um, but we have a pretty good team. I'm really proud of everyone. Um, and I think it's that culture of like, we want our students to have what they need so that they can succeed. Gotcha. So I just want to make sure I'm understanding it correctly. Like 
if you're partnered with a school, the entire student body works with you guys in some way, shape, or form? Yes. Yeah. Got it. Got it. So the entire, right now we have 1,650-ish students, like, depending on how many actually graduated, right? Um, and okay. my team goes into the schools um, in their spring semester. Um, and so they start working with the college counselors and the directors of college counseling at each of the campuses. And they um, that's how they start working with the seniors in the spring semester. And then now, by now, I think the purpose of that is you know, help and support, but also building relationships so that in the summer, it's a lot easier so they know what students need um, in the summer. And then in the fall, we really focus more on like having a strong start with college um, and checking in on them, um, how are grades going, you know, study skills. We do little uh, workshops online um, and go visit sometimes if they're local. Um, and so that's the fall. So for the class of 2023, that's what mm -hmm. the cycle. And then 2024 starts next year. So my team will probably start working with them in the spring again, when they're the last semester and it's a cycle like that. Gotcha. Okay. Really cool. I understand it much better now. <laughs> I don't know why, for whatever reason, I, I initially thought I was like, you were the school. So, so it's not that way but we I, we have a district office and then we have 14 yeah schools and got it's it. one dis one district got it I, i'm here now i understand you know only 40 <laughs> minutes in i'm i'm grasping it um but i want i wanted to keep going and i wanted to ask you like we're because we are 40 minutes in and we're starting to wrap up um but I guess a better way to phrase this question than the, how I gave it to you was like, when you meet with your students, like for that first time, and you're explaining like, wh why you're there, why this is important, all of those things, like, what are you telling them? And blank. Yeah. Um. In this current role, um, it, it, it varies right by um, the different roles that I've had, but like in this current role, um, it's really more my team that goes in into the schools. Um, but within myself and, and my managers, like we and our team, we put together what that's going to look like, right? Like their first interaction. And I have stepped into whenever we have staff that is up. Mm -hmm. um, that first interaction is really um, them knowing who we are. So we have like a picture. We describe the different services that we provide, why we're there. Um, we're kind of lucky in the sense that we don't necessarily have to convince them right away of college. Like they have been at, at the school with this culture and the majority of them, like it's it's the same idea. They know they're expected to have an acceptance for college. Will they all go? Like we do have students that we do have to really talk to and motivate. But I think the main thing at first is just building that relationship and being 
a lot of times like they have teachers that they see every day but they won't see us every day because we're at different schools and like switching our campuses so they each staff member serves two schools so they kind of split their time um and so it's just letting them know building that relationship that's the key we've noticed like if you're not yourself and you go in there like they will eat you alive right so it's just more like hey guys I'm Alejandra. I'm here to help you. You're in the last year. Like, it's coming to an end. You're about to leave these halls. What are you going to do? Right? Your teachers are going to be gone. What are you going to do? I'm going to be there for you. These are the things that I'm going to help you with. This is my contact. And I'm going to be here in this classroom with you for the rest of the semester. And then, like, really, we do a lot of, like, pullouts. Uh, an individual one-on-ones getting to know them so my first thing uh, when I do my individual pull out um, to get to advising I just get to know the student tell me about you um, what's important to you what do you want to study why and really grounding in the in the why before we get to the details because then now we have connected and if I don't really see a motivation then I that's when I start to try to get out of there. Gotcha. No, I love that. I think, yeah, getting that common ground and understanding that why is so important and it does build that trust. And if they don't trust you, not, you're not going to get anywhere. You can't get anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> so you have to start to get to know them and tell me about you. Like, why are, why are you doing this? Why, why are you applying to these schools? Um, and and they'll be really honest. <laughs> Sometimes they'll be like, I was told I have to. So those are the ones that I'm like, okay, well, let's really dig into this. <laughs> and some are like, oh, yeah, like, I really love this about like, and they're super excited about it. So um, they're, they'll be really honest about yeah. why why they're doing what they're doing. <laughs> I, and I love that. And it's, it's funny to see the different attitudes of the different kids and how each, each of them feel and how you kind of have to peel that, peel the onion or peel the layer back. Some you have to yeah. use a knife and some they just open up for you. So it's, it's interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it definitely is. Uh, I had one student once and he was just like, miss, everybody has already told me that I should go to college. You're not going to change my mind. And I'm like, I'm not here to change your mind. So like, he thought I was there like, everyone's told him he needs to go to college but he doesn't want to go to college and I was like I'm not here to change your mind but like I do want to know what are you going to do like let me and then I started telling him, like I can help you find a job if you want to go direct to work let's get to that let's start looking for that job let's get your resume together like what are you going to do when you leave these halls right uh, and then they start really trusting you more okay well like she really is more interested about me and what my next steps are versus like what everybody wants me to do mm. and then you start thinking oh well you really want to do that you know you could get paid more if you start this like three-week program and it's free no miss I don't want to do it okay fine but consider it and like sometimes they do turn around and mm. then they'll be like oh remember what you told me like I want to start that okay let's look into it so sometimes it's just timing and exposing them sometimes they don't think that they could just do like a literally half semester program and get a certification for welding or mm -hmm. 
something. Um, they can do a full semester, so it just depends. They haven't been exposed to all the opportunities, so it's really listening and connecting with what what they want to do. Yeah, absolutely, and that and that's awesome. And I and I'm also glad to hear like it's not a it's not a one size fits all for you and what you guys are doing. It it literally is like you're stepping out of these hallways. What, where are you going? Let's get you in the mm. best situation possible for you. And that obviously looks different for everyone. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, and then, so for those students, we have a small percentage that go direct to work, don't want to start school right away. Um, so for them, we try to stay in touch too, um, because sometimes is that they don't want to start right away. They don't feel ready. But I have had students come back like a year or two later and they're ready to start. So mm. then we start the process again. I think that that's great. And, and you know, something that I've thought about for a while is like sometimes stepping out of high school as a 17, 18 year old, you're just not mentally ready to go into college and be more independent and Mm-hmm. Th- things of that nature sometimes you just need a year or two of whatever it might be ma- maturing a little bit just naturally and then you then you're like oh I'm ready to do this now it's a completely different focus and mm-hmm. I actually just I just went back and finished my master's but there was a good I don't know how many year break there was a there was a gap <laughs> in between but the mindset just from when I was 18 to 22 to 28 so I guess six years um was just so different I was like wow I would have been like summa cum laude if I had my mindset (laughs) now when I was 18 (laughs) right right um yeah it really just depends on the student and the situation Mm -hmm. um sometimes they think they don't want to start that they're not ready. And that's when the motivation, like you really just have to dig to the root cause of why they don't want to start. And uh, sometimes they don't see themselves doing it because nobody else has done it. And they like really truly think like, oh, I can just work with my my family's company and it'll be fine. Um, but it's like, but why not do more? And mm-hmm. then you help your family's company grow because now you have a business degree and you're looking right. at, you know, economics and like supply and demand and all of these other things and um so it's really again just opening up their horizons to to things that they might they might not ever imagine they could do it's amazing keep doing it um (laughs) thanks um as we're as we're winding down as we are approaching our hour mark i want to kind of hit you with those last few questions i I sent over to you. So starting with starting with this one, like what is one thing that you would want like our audience to know about like your career and what you're doing? If there's just like one takeaway from what we've talked about mm-hmm. today. I think the takeaway that I would like want the audience to know is um, a lot of times we, in general, some we have a, a perception that like education is being in the classroom and being a teacher um, and or being a principal. And yes, 
those roles, those jobs are super important and we need more teachers, we need more in the classroom. However, there are also other opportunities to be in education that don't require being in the classroom. And so if that's a passion that you've always been thinking about, like, I want to give back or like, I actually want to work with students. Um, there's opportunities at like district offices. We have different things within our district. We have um, like a lot of my support like me. Uh, we have um, fundraising support. Um, we have finance, right? Like the people that cut our checks and um, do all of our POs, right? But it's still for a mission, right? Like the mission of getting our students prepared for um, opportunities after high school. And so I think that if you are ever thinking about like, I'm in a job that doesn't really give me any any good feelings at the end of the day, like I wanna feel rewarded, I would encourage you to look at um, school district and maybe getting a position, not necessarily teaching, but in another area, which at the end of the day, you're still feeling like, you have done something for your community and your students and um, in education. Love it. I love it. Um, and then the next question I want to ask, and we were talking about this off air before we started and I, and I figured out how I wanted to phrase this question for you. And <laughs> So take take a second because it's a little different than how I originally worded it when I sent you your blueprint. But if you had one message to tell your younger self, what what would that be? I think I would tell myself to do things that I'm scared to do. Interesting. Um, for example, um, mm -hmm. there are times when like you are scared to take an extra step or like sign up for this program or like you might feel like, or maybe like you want to be like a shaker and a mover and like speak up on things, but there's that like, okay, fear of how am I going to be perceived? I'm the only Latina woman in the room. <laughs> or what, you know, what you have all of these fears. And I think I would tell myself, do the things I when love you're it. scared. Because no matter what, you're going to learn something from that. So I think I would tell myself that. I, I love that. And I think that's a great <laughs> message, not not just for your younger self, but for anyone. <laughs> I, so I, I absolutely love that answer. And I couldn't agree with you more. And I wish I, I wish I honestly wish I could go back and tell myself to do the things that you're scared of. Speak up, try, try it. Don't just because you think or, you know, you're going to be bad at it. Just give it a right. shot. Who knows? Right. Just do it. Even though you're scared, do it. I love that. I love that. Um, and but as as we come to a close with this interview, I do want to give an opportunity for you to kind of quote unquote market yourself. Um, 
but specifically, like if people want to kind of continue this conversation with you, if they want to maybe someone's listening and looks up to you and admires you and wants to talk to you about mentorship or things like that. Is there, is that something that you do? Is there a way to get in touch with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm always open to mentorship. Um, having a zoom call, uh, it doesn't matter what part of the, the world really you're in. Um, I am open to uh, meeting people, networking, and just giving more information about my journey, uh, what I do, uh, and how you can get connected to doing something similar or the same. Uh, and you can reach me via LinkedIn is a good way. Um, I don't know if you post like the LinkedIn um, name or anything, but I could give that you yeah yeah um, please do i'll put it underneath you for anyone watching on youtube it'll be in the description mm -hmm. for anyone that's just listening on either spotify apple podcast whatever yeah that'd be great so uh linkedin would be the best way oh and you'll be you'll be linked just click on it um mm -hmm. or follow or follow the i guess it would be a url if it's a, if you're watching on youtube um so linkedin love that um, and then if anyone ever wanted like, and I don't know, you may not have like social media, but if you do outside of LinkedIn and people want to like follow your journey and get, get an inside look into who you are, or if you're just a personal person, that's totally cool. And your accounts are mm -hmm. all on private, totally cool. But mm -hmm. if someone wanted to follow your journey, can they do that? I'm not as big on social media as like my LinkedIn, but I'd like check more often. Um, they could find me at um under my name Alejandra Muñoz. I don't have any like fun names or changed my <laughs> name or anything <laughs> to be like undercover or anything. Uh, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. So, uh yeah, feel free to follow or request um friend on Facebook and um you won't get much because I don't post much. <laughs> uh but we can connect uh and my journey i think mostly i don't post a lot on on linkedin either but like you can see more of like my my academic journey and my um you know the things that i've done to to do what i'm doing now yeah you know your experiences i looked at your linkedin it's very impressive thank you <laughs> of course well alejandra i do want to say one last time thank you so much for coming on here as a favor to your friend's husband and his <laughs> podcast but it, th this conversation has been really amazing and it's really awesome to hear what you're doing and what other people are doing to help others i thank you for inviting me to be a part of it i always love talking about education i think we need more people in education there uh -huh. is a lot of need um and so and honestly like if you are not just interested in the work that I'm doing specifically about college access, like which is mainly my my goal right now is like my work is college access. But if you're interested in career advising or even working at a college at the college level, I've done that too. Um, or teaching specifically, and you want to know what if you're if you haven't graduated or are starting college, and you want to know what you need to study so that you can be a teacher. Um, I can help 
direct in those areas too. Love that. Yeah, absolutely. Reach out people. <laughs> but Alejandra, thank you so much again. We, I guess it looks like we've hit our hour mark, <laughs> but so until next time, say goodbye to everybody. Thank you again. Thanks everyone. Bye. Thank you for listening to the helpful huddle podcast. Remember to give us a like on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter with the user handle at helpful underscore huddle and the YouTube channel at helpful huddle podcast. You're also able to listen to us on both Spotify and Apple podcast. The links are also found in the description below. Please reach out with your questions on topics that you would like to learn about in the future.